are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. This story that's found in the three gospels arrested my attention about three or four weeks ago, and so it's been on my heart. In this text, there's a phrase, and the phrase God gave to me about 40 years ago, and I've tried to, uh, I've tried to use it in my ministry as a foundational principle. We'll see that, in fact, that's my message title in just a few moments. But before that, some introduction. Guilt, guilt is an awful emotion. And all of us have gone through guilt. The older you get in life, you look back and we feel guilty about this or guilty about that. And guilt is simply just a a remorse, an overwhelming remorse, an anguish for some act that we have done. I wish I could have some redo days. I wish I could have some redo conversations. I wish I could have some redo expenditures. I wish I could have some redo decisions that I've made, just do it over. I wish I had some redo conversations, what was, I didn't realize it, but would be my last conversation. We all, we all have guilt, but God has freed us from guilt. When guilt arises in our life, it is not from God, it's from our flesh, it's from satanic attack. Guilt is an awful thing. And I'd like you to leave here today with saying, all right, my past, my decisions, I've done those things, but I'm no longer under condemnation. When I was a boy, we'd sing, my past is forgiven. From sin I'm set free. I'm glad my past is forgiven. And my past when Jesus died on the cross was all future. Thus my past, my present, my future, it's all under the blood. What sins are you talking about? Do not, do not live your life harboring guilt. These people, with this woman's act of kindness upon the Lord Jesus Christ, they wanted to make her feel guilty. They came to judge her. I love what Jesus said in verse number six. Let her alone. If you don't have that underlined, those would be three great words to underline. Let her alone. Three words, let's say them together, ready? Let her alone. We ought to leave people alone. It's not your business, leave it alone. Leave that alone. Uh, Leave that, that internet alone. Don't be drawn into a conversation. I need to defend. It will never work, it never helps. Leave it alone. Just leave it alone. There's many things in your life, in our marriage, just leave it alone. Well, I just feel like I have to tell my wife, leave it alone. Leave her alone. Leave him alone. I think you'd rather, if you get older in life, look back at your parenting and yes, deal with problems. But a lot of things, uh, 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 you're gonna drive them crazy. And so those words always have been special to me. There's another thought, another statement made that I'll never forget. I could go in my office if I haven't given the Bible away 
because I remember that text, I've underlined in every Bible sense. I like what it says in verse number eight. And this is uh, something I've tried to govern my life by, I believe this church. She, she hath done what she could. Would you read that with me, ready? She hath done what she could. She hath done what she could. Uh, this lady apparently did not have much, but she had something. And she took what she had and did something with it. You know, we all don't have equal stations in life. Some are the, are, are the CEOs of the company and some are the managers of the company and some are the boss of the company and some are the laborers of the company. But God's not asking you to be the CEO. God is asking you to do what you can do. That's why this has been a great church. Some people have had great degrees, yet they drive the bus. They have great degrees, yet they work as mechanics on the bus, volunteer on Saturday and other nights of the week. Uh, some, some have great degrees and they have great prestige in their business, but they take a Bible and open it up for the third grade boys Sunday school class and teach them the word of God. You can do what you can do in the house of God. What are you doing? She has done what she could. I think that principle needs to be everything in life. Do all you can as you become adults for your parents. Do everything you can. Make a phone call, perhaps as much as every day if they're in a different area. Uh, send some money. Never miss a birthday. Never miss an anniversary. Never miss a special event. Never miss it. Yeah, that's your mother, your dad. It's a strange thing. And you that have lost your parents know this. When you go on Mother's Day to get a Mother's Day card and there's no mother to give it to. When you go on Father's Day to get a Father's Day card, and there's no father to give it to. But my dad's not been a good man. My mother's not been a, but I know, but you're still your child. Do what you can. Do what you can in every relationship in life. I want to see some thoughts about she had done what she could. And I'd like us to leave here today as business people and as workers and in our lives and our jobs and in our home and in our church, just do what you can do and get rid of the guilt. Get rid of the guilt that I should have done more. I think of sometimes, through the years, we've had bus captains, and all of a sudden they have a child or two or three, and they got all these little babies, and they begin to feel guilty because they want to work on the bus. And they come to me, I've, I've seen it through the years, and they have all these other responsibilities, and I said, I wish you could stay on the bus too. But perhaps, just perhaps, right now, Perhaps you can divert your efforts in another area in the ministry because perhaps it is not a good, healthy situation on your family right now. Just do what you can do. But sometimes we feel like, well, if I resign that position of being the bus captain, uh, the pastor's gonna think ill of me and the church will think ill of me and they're gonna think I'm backside. So you just do what you can do. Figure out what you're supposed to do. We got some folks in this church, they have not been back to church yet. We've been open and they're not here. Hey, you know what? They're doing what they can do. Leave them alone. Leave them alone. Some feel, they, they say, but I'm susceptible. We don't want them in church yet. If they have a breathing problem, we don't want them here. I don't want that on my heart. So, some of the best people I know. Think of one family that's not coming right now. And they have been here for decades. And I don't want them to come right now. 
I wish I don't want them to be here till they, they, they feel comfortable with their breathing, they feel comfortable with the situation. And, and, and they've written me this week and the note said this, to the world's, no, to America's greatest pastor. That said a lot in line number one. Are they good members? Oh, do they pray for their pastor and wife every day? Oh, yes. Well, why aren't they in church? Because they can't do that right now. You know, my dad would say, Jack, just keep your own life straight. She had done what she could. Notice the place this took place. Verse three, being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper as he sat at meat. He was hosting a dinner party for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is inviting people to come to this place. I want you to see the person. And there came a woman having an alabaster box. Here in this story, her name's not mentioned, but her name is mentioned in the Gospel of John. It was Mary. And Mary came. Mary was not a wealthy woman, but Mary came and she was looking to do something for Jesus. One of the hallmarks of this church is that we have people looking all the time. Amen. I need to fix that, I need to paint that, I need to go to this area and knock on these doors, I need to be in this prayer meeting, I need to help here, I can help over here, I need to gas the buses, fuel the buses, I need to fix the buses, I need to teach the class, I need to be a proofreader, I need to work in housekeeping, I need to work in the sound system, I need to work in the live streaming ministry, I need to work in the radio ministry, uh, there's something to me to do, I need to be in the orchestra, I need to be as an usher, thank God it's coming real soon, I need to be in the choir, oh, I miss the choir. The singing since you've been back has been great, it's been wonderful, it's been radiant. But this morning I said, it's just something still missing. I don't hear it yet, like I wanna hear it. I wonder what it is. Oh, Brother Martin, you heard them, they're singing today. It was great, you're praising God, lifting your hand, amen, right, that's, it's exciting. How great thou heart, thank you for singing that. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. All of a sudden it dawned on me, the choir. The choir's missing. Choir, we will not be sending out your payroll checks that you don't get anyway, but we're gonna start charging you for not singing these last many weeks. Can't wait to, you're gonna hear it real soon. Oh, what a day. Can you do it? Can you do it? She said, I need to, I, every Christian ought to be looking for something to do. Every Christian ought to be hunting, say, what can I do? I want you to see not only the place and the person, but notice the present. She brought an alabaster box of ointment. We sang about thine alabaster city gleam. Alabaster is white. It's, this is like a white stone hewn out and it was like a, a vessel, a vase. And in that white, that alabaster box or that vase, they had an ointment. It was a costly ointment. And she said, I wanna take my alabaster box, verse number three, very precious, very precious. It wasn't some cheap little gift. Let's not give God, amen, second hand. Let's give God the best. Best I can give, my wife and I, we tried to give our children to God. 
I was speaking to a man this week who, who mentioned that in, in his life, a decision was made during one of our missions conferences years ago that they were gonna give their children to God. And that's not the heritage of everybody in their family because they're all professional people and doctors and all these great things. I'm certain family members can't understand that. I would just surmise, I guess. But that man said, my wife and I have been living all these years to give our kids to God. If he wants them in his service, that's what we want. May I tell you something? You put them in God's service or you give them back to God and let God put them where he wants to put them. I, I can't promise you that they're gonna be able to take care of you financially in your old age, but I know from their heart they'll take care of you. I know they'll be there for you because the ministry is a ministry of servanthood and to be a servant to others. And I know God will take care of them and I know God will take care of you. We're so grateful that God allowed us to raise three kids and we gave them to God before they are ever born. And my wife knows that is true. We pray for them every single day and we still pray for them every day and we pray for those 14 grandkids by name every single day and we're asking God to do something with their life. I want you to know, friend, you don't lose by giving God your best. God will take care of you. He always does. And she took this very precious ointment. Don't give God the leftovers. And she break it and poured it on his head. The seal's now broken. And she presents the best she had. This best I have, God, Jesus, this is for you. It's for you. What do you need to give back to God that's so valuable to you? C.T. Studd was a great cricket player. At age 16, he had scholarships all around. Just an amazing testimony of his life. But he found Christ under the influence of D.L. Moody in the late 1800s. And C.T. Studd said, I'm not gonna be a professional athlete God wants my life to be a preacher of the gospel. And he gave his life and the papers could not understand all through Europe, what is this fool doing with his life? What is CT, he was a well-known name in cricket. What is he doing in the midst of all that? And this was in the 1800s, he inherited a little over a half a million dollars CT said, this will be a detriment to my ministry. And within 24 hours, he gave every penny away. He said, I don't want the money. I want Jesus more than anything. I think of William Borden, heir to the Borden family, all the heritage of the dairy products and whatnot. He too in the late 1800s, was in, uh, he grew up literally with a silver spoon in his mouth. As it turned to the turn of the century, he was under preaching and he gave his life completely to God. He went to 
went to Harvard and he, and he saw the wickedness of that Bible college for it was a Bible college. And he began as a student to preach to his fellow students and, and, and prayer meetings broke out, revival broke out. He then went to Princeton, the Presbyterian College to get Bible college, to get his uh, uh, the next degree. And while there, same thing, he saw the sick, the wickedness and the, and the filthiness, the, ge- the degenerative living that was on campus. And he began to preach and organize prayer meetings. Revival broke out there, the same at Yale. He was called to the mission field. He said, I believe God wants me to go to the Muslims. His father said, son, you're a fool. I'll not give you a dime for this vision, this mission that you want to accomplish with your life. William Borden said, Father, I'll love you, but I don't need your money because the Heavenly Father take care of me. He graduated and went to Egypt to learn the language on his way to go to another country. While I was there, just, I can't remember, I want to say it was six weeks, and the world, the papers were all amazed that this man, heir to all these millions, would leave all that. And he got to Egypt and became very sick and a high temperature And in those last moments of his life before he died, he indicated, I do not regret obeying God. Every newspaper in America and in Europe covered at length, front page, his funeral. Songs were sung. People said, what a fool. He's at 24, he died. He never married, he never got to get married. He never got to the mission field. He's learning the language, what a fool. But yet in Bible colleges in America, starting in Moody Bible Institute, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds walked the aisle and said, born went, I could have gone, but now I'm surrendering my life. And by the hundreds, they went out serving God because he gave his very best. Others said, I'll give my best as well. My life, Lord, is yours to control. But did you see number four, the problem? There's a problem here. Brother Bertram alluded to it. Verse four, and there were some that had indignation within themselves. And by the way, I'll stop, and this gospel labels it over here, it was Judas. But this gospel said it was the disciples. You know, the problem did not come from the heathen. It came from within the church. It came from within the the inner circle of people that knew better. And there was some uh, great uh, indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of ointment made? You could have given this to the poor. I think of that man then. I've been reminiscing so much I've been looking back through my journals with Brother John's home going. And looking at those days when he came to this church and when God worked in his heart. And I was looking when the various things we were doing. I came to those days, 1981 to 1983, when we were building our building over there, a 32,000 square foot building, the first real major building. Built some smaller ones before that. I remember one man and his wife, they did not have children. Now they have grown children, they have grandchildren. But I recall back in that family, they inherited a Porsche. I said to that couple, 
we have been praying that God would give you money for a down payment. I'll never forget what he said. No, it's up for sale. We need a building and a Christian school. I said to the man, you don't even have children. He said, but God will give them to us. And I'm gonna give this Porsche and all of its money to the work of God to build that building. I think of a man in our church that got saved, he and his wife, they had two little girls. I didn't even know it, but he had a beautiful Corvette in his garage. And he said to me, he said, Pastor, we need that church building. And my wife and I have a Corvette. I said, you do? I said, I need that. <laughs> and he said, we're selling it, we're giving it to God. I think of a lady that got saved in our church and she said, Pastor, I need help. I need to go to the, the bank and I have silver and gold and I want to bring it and give it to God to build that building. I think of how this church has been built. Do you realize how we've been able to get these buildings? On the 25th anniversary, and I don't, I don't ever plan to do this again, but on the 25th anniversary, I said, folks, could you come up? Could you maybe get up? I would, I, I, I would never do this again, but would you think about getting a mortgage on your house, take 25,000 out and give it to God? And scores of us, we did it together with them, did that. On the 30th, we got $30,000. Many families did that again. But we, we have a school. And in that school, we have a science lab. And we have a gymnasium. We have a dining hall. And we have computer labs. And we have green rooms. And we have, and we have classrooms. And we have a library. And we have a Spanish auditorium over there. We have things that are there in a children's chapel, and a youth chapel, and a fireside room. And it's a beautiful, amazing 66,000 square foot building. How did God give that to us? Through God's people sacrificing. This building right here costs us right at $16 million. We're getting close to having it all paid for. We paid for the other property. How'd this happen? God's people taking their very best and say, I'm gonna invest it. I'm gonna do all I can. But people said, verse four, that's a waste, that's a waste. This money, this money, oh, there's the key, verse five, this money. This could have been, ah, follow the money. The money is always the root. For God's word says the love of money is the root. That's the root of all evil. I always watch people get sideways with God and my first question, it's not me, it's not the church, it's not this, what's the root? Because there's always a root there's always a root in your business. This person gets upset with the company. This person is mad at the company. That, well, what we had to take everybody, 25% uh, loss of income, and I'm, a, I'm all mad at that. No, that's not the root. There's always a root. Sometimes circumstances allow the root to flourish. I'm finding dear pastor friends saying, our church, they've been giving, uh, talking about their church, they've been giving so well during this whole shutdown, they've been at this thing, they've been excited about it, and we're opening up, but they said the, the sad thing is, we're losing members. I said, you know, I told our people when we shut down, there would be casualties, and there always will be. 
And there's more casualties to come according to the word of God. And so much the more as you see the day approaching, we will see many shall follow their pernicious way. I'm not, it's not mine to please everybody's life. It's mine to preach the word of God. And if God's people want it, praise God. And if you don't, there's other places. God bless you. I don't want to lose anybody. But I want people to find a place. They say, this is home. This is my life. This is what I believe. This is what I need for my life as I await the rapture of the church. I noticed the punishment our Lord handed down. Verse six, let her alone. He says, stop sticking your nose in her business. Verse six, she hath wrought a good work on me. She sees the opportunity. I don't have a house to give them. I don't have money to give them. But I got this precious ointment. And I'm going to give that to him. It's what I can do. Do you know that right now that NBBC and North Valley Baptist Church and NBBS, the school, and GSBC, the college, this is a window. Because soon our pilgrimage down here is going to be over. And the trumpet of God shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. This, this, he's coming again. Can't you see it? Can't you see what's happening? And this time it's happening worldwide. Worldwide. Can't you see he promised it'd be pestilence? It's worldwide disease. That's what that word pestilence is. Can't you see there'd be wars and rumors of war? Can't you see that sons and fathers will war against themselves? Inner conflict in the home, the streets. That's why in the, in the millennium, the streets will be filled with boys and girls having joy in the streets. Not a lot of joy in the streets these days. I'd say let's seize this opportunity. You people that are single, stop wasting your time in guilt and agony that you're not married. It's where God has you right now. Seize this opportunity, being single. Seize this opportunity, just you and your wife right now. Seize that opportunity. Enjoy that. You're not ready for the next opportunity. You're ready with this opportunity. Seize that opportunity. You have a child or children. Seize that. Tell them every day you love them. Play with them and pray with them. Precept them in the word of God every single day. Deal with their lives and shape their lives and love those little kids and laugh with those kids and have picnics. Go on campouts. You say, we can't go on campouts. I'm not talking about in the woods. I'm talking in the living room. It's easy. He just get a blanket and make it look like a tent and you go in there and sleep. It's a big thing. Go on rides this summer with those children. Go on bicycle rides. Go on walks. Play baseball together with your family. Play sports together. Read them the Bible. Pray. Sing together. Enjoy things together. When it's mother's birthday, we did this, we've done it for all of our marriage and our life. And so it's mother's birthday, our son's birthday, our daughter's birthday, our grandson. And we go around the room with all the family that's grown now. One word described, sweet, godly, spiritual, example, 
kind, giving, generous. I mean, mold that family. Take, take responsibility this moment. These men and all the other men that were working with me during this shutdown, we, 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 have, we have done our very best to seize this moment. And these men know that, trying to work for the people of God and pray for the people of God and deliver help to the homes of the people of God and be there. We've had six deaths in this time and many babies born. We've done everything we can humanly possible. Why? Because we have tried to seize the moment as you have. Oh, I know I'm out of time. Look at the publishing. When she had done what she could, verse number nine, Verily I say unto you, wherefore this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world. This also that she hath done shall be spoken for memorial of her. What's going to be said in your memorial about you? What's going to be said? When you're laid to rest out here in the cemetery, your name, your birth, your date of death, There'll be something said there. On my parents' marker, it says, John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. They live for that one who was the resurrection, Jesus Christ, and the life. When you go in the cemetery here in Santa Clara, we have folks buried other places everywhere. But when I go in there to pray, it's been shut down. One of the first markers I see is Reverend. And it gives his name Reverend. I don't want that title, but thank God that he had it. I think it was 1792. I've often thought, I wonder where he preached in Santa Clara. This city was established in 1777. I wonder where he preached. I wonder what it was like. I wonder if he preached the gospel. I wonder if he was a man of God. I wonder how he helped people. That little word reverend to me indicated that he was a man in this city that apparently had a heart for this city. I go to some of these markers and I see, Maria, what your precious, Manuel precious grandson said, Nahum 1, 7. 15-year-old boy said, I want that, Pastor. That's what I want on my marker. Nahum 1, 7, a teenage boy who knew God and loved God already determined that from the book of Nahum he had a verse. I want to say when you die, you will be remembered for something. She had done for what she could. I, I, I'm speaking about this lady today. That's a memorial. I wonder how many preachers worldwide are speaking from this same text in one of these three gospels. I'm asking you just to do what you can do. I see my sweet friend over here, Julie Spencer. And I'm so glad she's here. I talked about you on the radio this week. Her house just burned down and her husband's with the Lord from years ago. And my wife and I love Joel and Julie. Julie's my, my sweet, sweet friend. But I was visiting her home here several months ago and here's where she sits, and here's where she reads her Bible, and here's where she prays, and here's how she has her prayer list. And she said, Pastor, I pray for you and Cindy every day. I know she does. 
sitting by them in the McCrackens. I know they pray for us every day. All through this house. What's your memorial? What are you going to leave behind? Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.